Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 143. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. Just drank coffee, so you know that means good things. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. So... Today is part three of our discussion on Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, If any of our listeners have not uh, listened to our first two uh, sections, check out part one, which was episode 141, where we discussed the first part of the book, uh, which was kind of the why, why Deep Work, and uh, listen to part two, episode 142, where we talk through one half of one chapter which was rule number one, doing deep work. (laughs) So um, hopefully uh, today we're going to get through the rest of that chapter. Just a reminder on the format here, we'll do some summarization, then answer one, whether we believe the point, two, whether it applies to us, three, whether it makes us want to change, and four, what we anticipate changing, if anything. One thing we realized, I think we said this last week, is that uh, this is how we kind of want to read books from now on. So we kind of want to model how we're going to read books that have big impacts on us. Uh, Summarize the big points, take notes, record our reactions, and record what we're going to do to try to change. And we might do uh, more of these reactions to specific books whenever they're on topic for us, when it's about or inspires change in career, you know, especially promoting career advancement the way the deep work does. Part three. Nick, uh, part one, the first half, that, that ran a little bit longer than we thought, didn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of rules to structuring deep work and philosophies about it and things about making grand gestures and collaboration that were important to discuss. And I mean, I think we had some some decent reactions to that that we didn't know we were going to have before we recorded it. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah. I think... It was really interesting to experience that, um, the the kind of real-time reactions to the points. To your point, it like kind of underlined the collaboration part of it, of you know, which was one of the main points there. So again, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it, episode number 142. Um, but let's continue with the next point under uh, doing deep work, which is execute like a business. Now, I kind of found this ironic as a sub uh, point when Cal Newport kind of, you know, bashed businesses for how they operate, you know, with open office plans and, you know, uh, cultures that underline responding to email, you know, right away or responding to Slack or chat, other chat messages. Um, But I think specifically what he's referring to here is the idea of what I think there was an anecdote about a high level business executive, maybe it was Andy Grove from Intel. I I don't remember exactly who, but 
somebody making the distinction between what to do and how to do it. So I think what he's underlying here is saying, execute your hows. Like, don't focus on what it is that you're going to do. You should certainly uh, figure that out. But this area is about how to actually do it. So with that in mind, there's four disciplines under the how. Discipline number one is focus on the wildly important. Create a specific goal, focus what you're working on down to the minimum things that will lead to professional success. Instead of trying to accomplish many things, try to accomplish a very few things very, very well. Makes sense to me. Discipline number two, act on the lead measures. So important goals involving deep work often have trailing metrics, like measurements of the outcome that come too late to actually make changes if the process wasn't actually working. So instead, you should make sure to measure lead metrics, the behaviors that should lead to success, to the success measured by the trailing metrics, um, but, you know, are a little bit more on the, uh, you know, in the intermediate, right? What's what's going on ahead of time or during during the process rather than measuring whether or not the outcome was achieved. Um, for knowledge workers, the leading metric is pretty clear. Uh, it's time spent doing deep work in pursuit of the identified goal. So that's what we should be measuring. Uh, discipline number three, keep a compelling scoreboard. Uh, measuring behavior changes how you behave, right? Since the lead measure is hours spent on deep work in pursuit of the goal, the scoreboard should display that metric. So we should be recording that every day, I guess. And discipline number four is create a cadence of accountability. Have a regular accountability meeting to review metrics and commit to specific adjustments in order to keep on track. A weekly review, which lasts a few minutes, can help to draw attention to sagging or rising work metrics and figure out what is causing the good or bad effect in order to enhance or correct it. You know, that all makes a lot of sense to me. Do I believe it? First question, yes. I'm wondering if I'm, you know, biased towards things that are asking me to make difficult choices and uh, measure data, because that is certainly, you know, something that I'm biased towards. You know, as I've uh, gone through life, I realize like I don't actually have time to do everything that I want to do. So narrowing choices makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and then measuring data, you know, that's kind of my work culture right now is all about, hey, what do we have measurements of? You know, can we measure things that are actually correlated with, you know, figuring out success or failure? So this really rang true for me. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to point out that these four principles of executing like a business are from the four disciplines of execution by Franklin Covey. I think that was his source in getting these. Ah, okay. But I think it's really hard to pick the things you want to focus on the few things that you want to be really good at or maybe for us from a personal brand perspective maybe those are the things we'll be known for right by others co-workers in the industry and for me i start to think to myself okay well what if i pick something and i want to change it later or it's not the right thing it's probably a fear of limiting the options more than anything or fear of missing out. And I really liked what Newport said about saying yes to the thing that arises terrifying longing. Mm. So it's very much aligned with desire to do it 
And uh, I think it goes back to that meaningful portion we talked about in the why deep work. Right, right. That's so interesting because I had a conversation with a coworker just recently about this. And he asked me what it is that I wanted to focus my career on, you know, at Google Cloud. And I told him that my answer was going to be really clear, but possibly very unsatisfying because what I wanted to focus on was the ability to do deep work. And I felt like anything that came after that was almost like, well, certainly secondary, right? Being able to do a lot of deep work was primary, right? That was going to be enabling of anything else that I wanted to do. And then, you know, so my brand, you know, if anything was, if I had to put it into a statement, would be something like, if you ask John to do something or John decides to do something, he's going to, you know, have incredible focus and concentration and have incredible output on that thing. Right. And so then what you, what I choose after that is, I don't want to say it's incidental, but it kind of feels that way. Like, you know, what I'm going to be working on is going to change, you know, from year to year, you know, and making a decision to go in a specific direction, you know, is, not going to last more than 18 months probably because of the field that we're in, you know, in, in high tech, like the state of the art is going to change and it's going to change again and it's going to change again and it's going to change again. So like, you know, my ability to do deep work, to learn quickly, to spin up, to become an expert, you know, through concentration, like that is the important thing. Um, sorry, I, I kind of dissented into a rant there, but um, I don't think it was a rant. I think it's a great point. Yeah, it's just what you what's sparked by what you said. Like, you know, I don't want to limit, I don't want to limit, you know, what it is that I'm known for or, or what it is, you know, what my options are. And I almost feel like if you, if what you pick is deep work, then you haven't limited your options. Like whatever it is that you decide to work on for the next six to nine months is going to be amazing. You're going to do amazing things in it. And then you can make a different decision after that. And you just accumulate uh, skills and experiences over time that might lead to other great things, you know, you making connections between things. So at least that's how I saw it. So that's great. I never thought about it like that. Thanks for pointing that out. We're just, uh, discovering things on the fly here, guys. (laughs) So does this apply to me? No, not really. No, I'm just kidding. Of course it applies to me. Measurement, I have to say is pretty difficult. Uh, at least that's what I thought, like doing that measurement, but it, it, it really isn't. Like measuring time spent in work is pretty simple. Like, especially if you decide ahead of time and put it on your calendar, like if, if nothing else, like just go back and read your calendar and say, you know, Hey, this is what I tried to do. Like, you know, did I actually do it? And if not, like, what were the changes? Um, so, uh, it, it definitely applies to me. (laughs) How about to you? I think so. I feel I've done a less than stellar job of the measurement part maybe measurement of the achievement, but not as much of a measurement along the way. How much effort, how much time did it take longer than I thought? And maybe we don't think enough about whether something took as long as we thought it would or longer and reasons for that to make it, to make the process better. Focusing on those leading metrics and then evaluating whether our time estimates were accurate or not. That's mm-hmm. a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, I have to say, 
you what you said just sparked something else in me which was like just the actual like recording like you said intensity and i feel like that is maybe a, a little bit subjective but also should maybe be recorded like you know not only did i spend like 90 minutes working on this task and you know i i got it done correctly but you know the level of intensity that i was able to achieve uh, intensity of concentration and focus was x whatever your scale is you know and maybe being able to define that scale is is another thing like number of times that i got distracted or i had to remind myself to stay on task you know that you, maybe you start quantifying that like the number of times per 30 minutes that i almost decided like oh hey i'll go you know check my email or oh hey i wonder what what chat messages have come through you know those kinds of things that focus on lead measures i just i don't think i've ever thought about doing that i, I know i have because we've talked to other people who pointed it out but i've just never wanted to record it i don't think i've ever wanted to be come face to face with like how distracted i am and maybe part of it is we we just don't want to know because the results will be so skewed from what we actually believe. Yeah. Fear. Fear again, right? Hey, fear is the mind killer. So um, I'll need to face my fear. Uh, does it make me want to change my behavior? Definitely. Diving in and saying, hey, why am I not measuring this? Like, you know, what is it that I need to do to change that? Like that automatically, like, changes how I think about things. Like when I have a realization, like, you know, like, oh, hey, maybe I just don't want to face reality. It makes me want to change that. Makes sense. Yeah, certainly it makes me want to change my behavior. I think it also reminded me of a section in Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron where he talks about this team of cyclists who they were focused on a 1% improvement in efficiency in all areas whether it was sleep, the way they wash their hands. I mean, anything they could squeeze more efficiency out of to get them closer to their goal of winning, and they were able to do it mm -hmm. ahead of schedule, if memory serves. <laughs> yeah. That focusing in on the wildly important, like that, setting that initial goal, really good point. All right, uh, what will I change to align myself with this idea? I think it was Don Jones who talked about the time flip, which is like a device that will uh, record the amount of time that you're spending in specific states. Um, as long as you, you know, actually flip it around. I think it looks like a giant 12 sided die. I bought one of those. I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I'm afraid to measure this. So I'm going to measure it, but um, it hasn't come in yet. Apparently these things have long lead times. So maybe I just need to, you know, start by doing like a daily journal you know, and say, hey, here's my daily work diary. Here's the entry. This is the amount of time that I actually was able to spend doing deep work. This is the amount of time, you know, that I wanted to do it. And this is the amount of time that I actually was able to do it, what I was able to achieve. And that's like kind of a scoreboard, right? Here's the uh, compelling scoreboard on a daily basis. And then, you know, have that like weekly shutdown meeting, that end of week cadence, measure that time and deep work on a weekly basis and start making adjustments based on what I see, you know, Hey, every time I scheduled it at eight thirty AM, I was just never able to do it because, you know, breakfast ran long or, you know, whatever it was like, you know, emails ran long. Um, 
or wow, the best, you know, amount of time that I was able to, you know, accomplish that was like 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. That was great. Um, you know, those, those types of like looking back, measuring, and then making future adjustments, I think are exactly what it is I'm going to try to do. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like I'm tracking the high level goals and projects. However, I don't feel like I am tracking how much time I've spent working toward those along the way as long as I hit them. You know, the, you're, you're the kind trailing of trailing metric. Yeah. You're working on, okay, I have to finish this. Obviously, you want to do a good job, but maybe you're not tracking how much time you spent on it and haven't thought about how much time it will take. You just know that you need to do it. So some of that analysis of what's it really going to take for me to provide a quality output here? And am I putting in the time to make that happen? Yeah, yeah. Achieving the goal is like a binary, right? It's like a yes or a no. And I guess this whole point is that we should be measuring the things along the way so that we can make adjustments. You know, am I making progress? How much progress have I made? How much work was I able to put in this week towards that goal? Right. And if zero, is it actually a goal that I'm focused on? Yeah. If we're procrastinating, I think this is another Cal Newport thing. Like he says, sometimes procrastination is your brain telling you that like you don't actually care about this goal or this project, or you don't understand like why you should do it, or it's not that important to you, or it's too abstract and you need to make it more concrete in order to actually, you know, work on it. All of those things can be examined if you haven't done anything or you're just procrastinating. Is it actually that important to me? You know, is it concrete enough? Do I have a deadline for it? Like, do I have intermediate steps that I could break this thing down into? That podcast, uh, once again, is Deep Questions. And uh, I just started listening to it from the beginning. I think it's 100 episodes so far or something like that. And I just went, well, I'm on it. I'll start listening to episode one. <laughs> All right. Um, the next point is be lazy. I think this is the last point in the rules section. Just the title was provocative, right? Um, but laziness is really an emphasis on the division between work and relaxation. And in order to fully commit to work, you also need to fully commit to stopping work and actually starting to relax. Um, that, I thought, was pretty profound. Like, you know, just having a clear delineation between when you're working and when you're not working. And he was actually, you know, has you know, a little bit more clear rules about, you know, having like reasonable hours, like, you know, before six o'clock, you know, sometime between five and five thirty. I think he, he even says like fairly specifically and, um, anything more than that is kind of, uh, silly. So, um, here's the reasons. Uh, number one, downtime aids insights. So work that involves synthesizing lots of ambiguous and even uh, conflicting information with many potential solutions is aided by the additional neuronal bandwidth which the unconscious mind has to bring to bear on a task. So giving yourself a habit or ritual of ending the workday and allowing the unconscious mind time to go over your work can be very, very helpful. And he actually cited some uh, um, studies to, to support this idea. But I thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty cool idea. Reason number two, downtime helps recharge the energy needed to work deeply. 
probably really important. So um, he talks about attention restoration theory here. Uh, that claims that spending time in nature can help improve one's ability to concentrate later on. So you need that like battery recharging time in order to spend the energy in the battery. Psychologists studying it uh, call concentration uh, directed attention and say that it's a finite resource, which you know really kind of goes along with, again, David Rock's ideas and your brain at work. If it's used up, it can lead to attention fatigue. This is similar to the idea of limited willpower to do deep work or inhibiting attention uh, of attention from distractions. Uh, restoring attention heavily depends on not revisiting work at all. Like full attention on spending time in nature was like his number one example here. Knowledge workers can at least start this process by fully putting down what uh, work when they finish for the day. I think this is probably like a pretty key and important idea here is like being able to fully put something down. And then uh, the final reason, uh, reason number three, the work that evening downtime replaces is usually not that important. And the role of deliberate practice in the acquisition of expert uh, performance by Anders Ericsson, uh, that's the work that he cites. Uh, Ericsson uh, writes that novices can't usually perform cognitive demanding work for more than an hour a day, while experts can rarely do more than four. So recognizing this leads us to protect the time that we do spend on deep work, but also it real, you know, at least that realization that just adding hours to the end of the day, usually not productive, not productive at all. And then, uh, after all these reasons, you know, a final point, have a shutdown ritual, uh, ensure that you have a plan to act on every incomplete project that you have and then record that in a place that you'll find it. This is, you know, usually I think going along with a reason number two, right? To be able to put something down fully. Um, this removes the cognitive overhead of wondering if you're forgetting anything, right? If you try to hold it in your mind, you probably are going to forget it. He even has the idea of a shutdown phrase. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Like, you know, but if you go through a ritual, then at any point in time, if you wonder, hey, am I forgetting something? You can remember, no, I went through my shutdown ritual. You know, maybe even uttering the phrase uh, shut down complete, which uh, the author does like out loud even. Um, and, you know, like you did it and therefore you don't even have to think or worry about it. I feel like you should get a copy of the Windows shut down sound and just play it. <laughs> well, that would probably work, too. It'd be kind of fun. I, I think that he's hinting at, you know, having like an auditory cue, right? So you're using multiple parts of your brain to alert yourself that you're done, right? Not only, you know, can you say cognitively, like, oh, I wrote down all these, like, project states and in the places that I always keep them, but you also had this, like, auditory cue that indicated to yourself that you actually did all those things. And then here's the, the sound that comes at the end, and you don't need to think about it anymore. It's a really interesting idea. Um, I don't know, like, it feels silly, but it also has like a low cost. <laughs> the, the, the overhead is mostly in the recording your mental state on every single project that you're working on as you exit out of that project, like recording all the progress that you've made and the things that you want to do next. Like that's the hard part, like deciding whether or not you're going to play a sound or say a phrase. That's pretty easy. Like that has almost no overhead to do. Right. So I wouldn't spend, I would spend almost no time thinking about 
should I utter the utter the phrase or play a sound, you know, do that. Just do it. The hard part is actually, you know, actually recording all all the information uh, to put things down. So, question: Do I believe this? I mean, obviously I do. I mean, this is something that uh, David Allen wrote about in Getting Things Done, right? Just don't keep the state of all of your projects and your tasks in your head. You're just going to forget them. And I think that David Rock um, referred to the the magical number seven. It's the number of things that you can probably uh, keep in your head at any one time, the, the things that you can remember. And doing, you know, trying to remember all those things, you know, has a cognitive overhead. You're just going to use energy trying to remember those things. So, so recording things, having shut down ritual, um, that all seems like critically important and the ability to just walk away and just say, I'm done. I don't need to think about this at all. Like fully step away from that work just seems so important. So I, I definitely believe it. How about you? I definitely believe it as well. I know I've reached that point of diminishing returns by adding time to the workday to try and finish something. And I just think to myself, I could work on this longer, but it's not going to be my best work. I need to take a break, maybe work on it later, or maybe just work on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I think if you if you were to put your deep work at the end of your day and you did shallow work all day, I think you could still achieve it as long as your energy wasn't so depleted from the shallow work and constant context switching, you know, I think that's still a possibility. It's just you have to assess whether you have that energy level at the time to to go deep. Yeah. I remember Pat Gelsinger, who used to be the CEO of VMware and is now the CEO of Intel, you know, said either in a book or an interview, like, you know, sometimes he has to take a work home. You know, and but he fully like puts everything away, um, and then realizes you know sometimes he's going to have to do some executive work between like say eight p.m. and ten p.m. But he has like a strict here's the time with my family, here's the time that um, I'm going to spend with them, and I'm going to be fully with them, and then maybe I have a little bit of of executive time in the evening before bed. But you know, it's like that strict separation. So. That makes sense to me. Does this apply to me? Very clearly. <laughs> very, very clearly. I, I've i definitely had these, you know, been exposed to these ideas. And I just, I know that I'm not perfect at it. But I just need to, you know, keep doing the level that I'm doing. You know, recording my state. Being able to fully shut down. Um, and work on improving it. Right? Don't, don't let things go to 6 p.m., you know, roll it back to, to 5.30. Don't think, let things even get to 5.30. You know, start the start the shutdown at, at 4.30, you know, and so you can actually walk away at 5. Like that, that's the kind of like improvement that I, I need to uh, to work on. I, I also am fascinated by this um, attention restoration theory and the idea that like going into nature um, can, you know, accelerate that process. That may be something that I need to start thinking about. How about you? So I think it definitely applies to me. I tend to have a hard time putting things down at the end of the day. And what I've normally done is if something pops into my head later in the evening, 
log it somewhere, right? Maybe it's just an email to myself or write it down on a whiteboard or a piece of paper. And maybe it's an idea for something to do the next day or just a good idea for a solution to a problem that came to me. And I think maybe you just need to do better on organizing those and, and following up on them. But to your point, they often come after I've stopped working. Sometimes mm. after we've interviewed somebody or recorded a podcast together, I'll just something will pop into my head and I'll and I might send you a message two hours later or the next day and you've seen it happen. Definitely, yeah. But I also think that, you know, what you're talking about, maybe we'll roll into it. You know, does it make me want to change behavior and what will I change to align myself with the idea? Like I mean both those you know, it definitely makes me want to change the behavior, right? And I think what you're talking about, you know, happens to all of us. And it's just a matter of like having a way to deal with it. Cause I, we don't control like what ideas pop into our head. I think that's part of that, you know, earlier rule, like our unconscious mind works on things and that's exactly what we want it, what we want it to do. And we don't have any control over when our unconscious mind, like, you know, makes a connection between A, B and C. And then, you know, it, it surfaces in our thoughts. I think what's important is exactly what you said is to, to capture that, to know like what state you're in. I'm not in the work state right now. I need to capture this. So, you know, I can put it away and, and, and put it down. Right. So that put it in a place where I can, you know, pick it up later. So here's enough of what the information, you know, the idea was, here's the context that, you know, the thought that came to me and then, and then put it away. I think that's a really, really good idea and to have like an organized system where you know that you will be able to revisit it that means that you won't spend any energy like trying to just hold on to that idea right and it goes back to what you were saying about being present you know what uh, what pat gelsinger was talking about being present during certain times with his family mm -hmm. if you can just take a minute or two record that information get it out of your head and then go back to being present, you won't grind away and think about it to try and hold it there in the time when you're supposed to be present with your family or, or doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's totally fair to have thoughts, take a second, record them and then come back and be fully present like that. You know, that's something that we're all going to do. Right. Um, it's, having that like organized way if we have an organized way and have a place that we know that we can surface it later on um then we won't be distracted in the present trying to hold on to that thought forever right um and i think that is what leads to actual like split attention so how about i don't know about you but like Checking work email is like a, a big thing for me. Like I, I, I already made the change that I've turned off alerts to work email. Like push notifications? Is that what you mean? All push notifications are all okay. off now. You know, and the same thing, I haven't done that with chats, which is probably even more destructive. Um, I've done it on my laptop, but I haven't done it in like... Um, in my phone. I don't know that I have a way to have those chats, you know, work chats and work, uh, to not show up in specific hours. I just haven't done that investigation, but I, I kind of just want to be able to say like, Hey, at five thirty, 
you know, all these chats, chat notifications should just go away until eight o'clock tomorrow morning. You know, I don't need to hide them. You know, I just don't want to see them. Like I should be able to just completely put it away. And then there's a difference between that and then me having the urge to check them like personally, like proactively. Ooh, I wonder if I've had any email like seven at night, you know, any work emails come in? Like, no. (laughs) What's the point of that? (laughs) Right. I think somebody's addicted, but I can't really say anything. (laughs) Well, you know, it's having the thought is one thing, acting on on it is another. So it's, it's really, it's about the act. Yeah. I think that's actually like the end of chapter one or like, sorry, chapter one, rule number one, you know, do deep work or work deeply, I think is the actual title. Um, any overall reactions? Like mine was that it was like pretty practical, uh, thought provoking and very actionable. Like I could definitely go through and say, I want to do this. Like I believe this. And these are the changes that I'm going to make in response to that. Yes, I agree with you. I also think that some of this will come down to building habits. Like you talked about wanting to check your work email, but keeping yourself from doing it. And I think I mentioned before, well, to go down the path of email, for example, one of the things I find myself doing is not long after waking up in the morning, check email to see if there's anything on fire. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if I'm getting up early before most of my coworkers. So I've done it a couple of times, and I probably need to do this more, but there have been a few days where I decided, you know what? I'm not going to check my email until I sit down to start my work day. Right. I'm going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, John, in the few times that I experimented with this, I felt like I was bringing more energy to my day when it started than otherwise. Interesting. Because if you check the email and can't do anything about it right then, you're going to think about it. And it kind of interrupts your morning routine, which maybe it's not deep work necessarily, but it's a structure, hopefully ritualized space where, okay, we have breakfast. I, I have my breakfast. Maybe I, you know, read something, journal, listen listen to my Bible app, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. While I'm eating and then do a couple other things and then go start the work day. So there's something to the boundary setting and not allowing the invasion of your own time, your personal time, that we have to do better. But we can also take that to the workplace too. And that's really what what hits home for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and to your point earlier about the organization of the states, right? If we are stateful applications, going back and picking up the state of the application later, mm-hmm. making sure I don't lose that. I mean, I can log it, but I could still lose it if I didn't organize it well or maybe not act on it at all on my good idea. Right, right. Having that, that place to do it seems so important. I think the things here, we all are going to have to make small changes bit by bit. Because if I try to change 14 things right at once, I, I'm not going to build a habit. I'm going to fall off the wagon yeah, too quick. Or I'm going to get upset that well, I, I didn't get my four hours of deep work in today. Well, buddy, you probably can't do four hours of deep work yet. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on two, right? I have one hour scheduled in the morning, and uh, that's like one goal in my app, and then one hour scheduled in the afternoon. And I haven't been 100% on that. So pretty interesting, you know, and even that is tough, especially at the beginning, it was tough. Like, you know, to schedule a block, I'm going to do only one thing. I'm not going to check email. I'm not going to think about anything else, even just the a thought, your thoughts wandering off of the topic, you know, or spinning, you know, like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, um, to actually, you know, making progress on that topic. It's, uh, it's rough at the beginning. And it just made me, it, I think it underlined for me the idea that you can't just train your brain to do like one thing, like be highly distracted uh, and then immediately just flip the switch and just be able to do like deep concentration stuff. Um, I think that comes up later on in the, in the book. It's like a hardcore diet for the mental game. Yeah, it is very much so. Anything else before we get out of here? We're going to be covering uh, rule number two and three, hopefully, next week. No, absolutely not. Besides baby steps. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Absolutely. Um, if you've read this book and have you know reactions to similar too, or different uh, from the reactions we're having, we'd really love to hear from you. You know, so feel free to tweet at us. And if there's other books that you think um, we haven't talked about, you know, or even if we have that are aligned or even opposed to some of the ideas that Cal Newport is writing in Deep Work, uh, we'd love to hear about those as well. So please, please, we want to hear about that. We want to expose ourselves to a number of different things. Um, aligned and in opposition with, right, to figure out what it is that we know. So uh, with that in mind, farewell listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd Underscore, signing off. You are what you read, ladies and gentlemen.